Good everyone. I hope you guys have an amazing day. Welcome to another episode of ANZ uh, Salesforce Podcast. Today, hi, I have with me a very special guest, uh, Ben Duncan, uh, who is a recruitment and Salesforce specialist uh, based in Australia. Uh, so Ben runs Talent Hub, uh, specialized mostly in uh, Salesforce recruitment. Uh, so welcome to my show, Ben. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, how's this year been? Uh, given the fact that you know, I, I've been hearing that Salesforce is is making a tremendous progress in Ains and market. Yeah, I think um, like if focusing on this year alone, it's it's just kind of uh, as busy as ever. I think um, you know, last year I was I was rushed off my feet with opportunities. And I, I didn't expect it to to kind of continue progressing at the speed that it it had last year into this year, but. Um, really, it has. We've we've seen the huge amount of demand across the board, and um, and yeah, no, no real sign of of that slowing down. So I think Salesforce themselves uh, are seeing a lot of kind of uptake in in license purchases and and new projects. Um, obviously, that rolls down to the partners, and and then um, we're seeing that across the board with partners and then customers hiring. Really, so yeah, it's a busy market to be in. That's for sure. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's the, I think it's the, pretty much the same in uh, New Zealand as well. Um, so let's start, you know, let, let's take a, a step backward, right? Uh, how's your experience as a Salesforce recruiter in Australian market? I mean, finding talents and, and other aspects? Yeah, I think, um, so I've been in the, the Salesforce ecosystem for around seven years now. Um, and that's kind of exclusively been in ANZ. So predominantly in Australia. And I, I have a couple of clients in New Zealand. I've done a bit of work over there, um, over the years, but yeah, predominantly in Australia and, and the hubs of that would be Sydney and Melbourne. Um, that's where we do most of our work. And then obviously there, there's some other uh, regional kind of locations or big cities, but, but less kind of self-demand in places like Brisbane and, and Adelaide and, and Perth. Um, although we are starting to see things change a, um, a little bit. Um, but historically, the, the market has kind of been reliant on people coming into the ecosystem. So, you know, uh, people coming in from overseas on, on sponsored work visas, um, often being hired by the consulting firms and staying for a period of time before they get their permanent residency and then they're able to kind of move between companies more freely. Um, right. Obviously, over the last couple of years, that's been more difficult. So we have seen um, companies having to um, invest in, in more junior talent and, and upskilling people from other technologies or bringing people in from, from outside of, of the technology space, which has been really, really great to see, um, seeing people that are being given opportunities to kind of develop and learn and grow and, and uh, I guess, make a career out of the Salesforce ecosystem. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely been a challenging market over the last few years because there has been a lack of, of experienced, uh, I guess, available <clears throat> talent, um, whereas historically in years gone past, people would have been bringing in a lot more talent from overseas, um, which would have kind of kept up with the demand um, a bit better than, than we've been able to over the last couple of years. Right, right. Okay, so that's that's interesting to hear, right? I think um, mostly because of the COVID, right? I mean, the market has kind of shifted to um, uh, to to build up the local talent. I mean, I've seen the similar trend in New Zealand market as well, right? Uh, so that being said, I still believe that you're still getting a lot of demands from overseas candidates, right? Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of people that reach out that are looking to move to um, to Australia. Uh, you know, daily I'm getting 
a large volume of people that are contacting us and looking to make that move. Um, we still aren't seeing, you know, although uh, borders are open and, and there are companies out there now offering um, to sponsor visas, I think people are still being quite selective uh, over the, the people they're hiring and, and the, the, who they're offering visas to. So although we get a lot of people contacting us looking to come to Australia, you know, we so far this year, and we haven't uh, helped anyone with that transition from overseas to Australia on a visa. Um, yep. and, and we still see that you know, it's quite challenging to get an opportunity um, to, to relocate with um, with a visa. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I understand that. That could be a bit of challenging, right? Now, uh, what about the New Zealand market, though? I mean, I, I mean, the reason why I'm, I'm asking that last year, I remember that a couple of recruiters that reached out to me saying, Hey, are you keen to work remote from New Zealand? Uh, is that, is that a growing trend? I mean, since, as you mentioned, right, uh, sometimes it's difficult to find a talent. So is, have you seen a trend that where companies from Australia trying to reach out, uh, you know, to find the talent from New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, like, I, I don't think um, I don't think every company is doing that, but there definitely are some companies that are more willing to do that. Um, I, I think, you know, ultimately we've seen a lot more flexibility with companies around where they hire. Um, historically, we did have a lot of, uh, you know, companies that would look for, for people to be in the office. And, and then when that became less of a requirement, people were then saying, okay, can we hire in interstate? So can we find someone in Brisbane to to um, you know, help us and, and work um, remotely for a Sydney-based client or um, you know, Adelaide and, and other locations across Australia. And then when those kind of talent pools got, um, got depleted of available talent, then I think people looked at the next available pool, which, which was New Zealand. But from what I understand, the New Zealand market is just as busy as, as, um, as we're seeing in Australia. So you know, yeah. I think there's, there's lots of people around waiting for work in, in New Zealand either. So... Although, um, although I think you know companies have gone to that pool, I don't think it um, it's made a huge difference in terms of the the supply and demand availability in Australia. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that's right. So <clears throat> I think you know one of the one of the things I've seen, right? Like I do remote work. I mean, in New Zealand, so a lot of companies are more flexible now. You know, where you know. Uh, I can work from a small town, say in, in Palmerston North in New Zealand. Uh, I, I guess the similar flexibilities Australian companies are willing to offer to someone, say in Perth or you know you know somewhere remote remotest town of Australia, because it's yeah yeah I mean like the the time difference between Perth is obviously significant compared to Sydney. So um, yeah. you know if if time difference is only the the only constraint, then then it makes sense also to consider New Zealand. I yeah. think obviously there are there are some other hoops for for companies to jump through. Like if they're hiring permanently in New Zealand, then that, that I guess they would need to be set up from a a kind of payroll and administration perspective in New Zealand. Um, if they're hiring contractors, obviously it's a little bit different. But um, but yeah, that that's the only real consideration that companies kind of need to get around is how they kind of engage and what the legal compliance and um, and legislations are around hiring people in, in different countries. I would imagine. But um, for, for for companies that are willing to go through that that, that kind of path and uh, you know invest in, in in anything they need to to get up to. To, to speed and to be able to offer contract and permanent for, for people overseas, then, then New Zealand is an obvious market, right? 
Right, right, right. <clears throat> That's cool. Um, I've, I've been uh, going through the surveys, right, which you send out every year, which is fantastic. Thank you very much for that. So I've noticed that, you know, most of the companies, they're saying that um, there's a huge demand for say, uh, Salesforce developer. Uh, and is that is that the case, though? I mean, is, do you think that there is really a shortage of Salesforce developer in the market space? Uh, I think there's both a shortage of Salesforce developers in terms of volume, but also there, there's a significant, I guess, shortage of um, very high caliber and, and quality Salesforce developers. I think right. you know that that's often the the biggest challenge finding someone that has you know, a wealth of, of programming experience, um, both in and outside of Salesforce, and then, you know, follows best practice and, and takes good care of the, 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 the orgs they work on and, you know, deliver scalable solutions and everything that a company really, really wants and that the Salesforce developers that the companies are really, really eager to find. Um, they're very difficult to, to source. And I think there definitely is both a lack of, of, um, of, of yeah, numbers of developers, but then even more so when you get into that really kind of, the, the, the top 10% of, um, of, of candidates, you know, that there just aren't many around. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised to hear it's a similar uh, thing in New Zealand as well. I mean, finding the really, you know, the someone who understands the best practices to implement the stuff, right? Not just come in, just, you know, start writing code. So, yeah, we are even seeing the similar uh, shortage in New Zealand market as well. Finding that, you know, top uh, niche talent. Yeah, so that's one of the challenge, I guess. So that's all right. That's cool. Uh, so what's the other sales for skills uh, demand in Australia? So, for instance, do you see a growing trend in, say, Einstein or Marketing Cloud or? Yeah, and just just on that last on the last point quickly, just to I guess um, explain why I think there's such a lack of, of um, experienced developers. It's just, obviously, it's just a uh, you know the route from being. Um, inexperience to experience as a developer is probably a longer journey than yeah. you know picking up um, picking up configuration. So we we do see people coming into the Salesforce ecosystem from a completely non technical background and yeah. becoming a Salesforce administrator or becoming a functional consultant in a relatively short space of time. Like I'm talking kind of you know uh, six to to twelve months, like being up to oh, speed wow. and and um, being able to kind of work on projects and so on, but but you don't really get that in the developer space, right? Unless they've come from a programming language in another technology, yeah. um, it, it, you can't. It, it can be done. Like people can definitely learn to code, of course. Like that, that can be done. But I, I feel that that's a longer journey than learning to do configuration, and uh, and that's why we, we've kind of had that that gap of of talent and the lack of experience. Um, it's just harder to, to get that experience, harder to become a senior um, developer. Although there are lots of people in the ecosystem that, that you know, will, will say that they're a senior developer, but um, when they go through interviews and, and when people through technical tests, um, yep. often, you know, there, there, there is a gap still in terms of what someone um, claims to be senior and what a client expects as a senior. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that that's my observation in, in that space. Um, and then on your next question around, you know, where are the gaps? I think, like... I can't remember off the top of my head what the survey said this year, but we are seeing, you know, some kind of specialized, um, you know, like field service lightning and CPQ. Like we are seeing some people becoming like a specialist in those fields, in those um, areas of, of Salesforce. But on the whole, yeah. we still see a lot of kind of cross cloud expectations from, from hiring managers. So, you know, that they, they may expect someone to still be able to do sales cloud, service cloud and, um, you know, communities perhaps, 
Um, so I, I think there is growth in particular products, but we're not seeing like a huge amount of demand for one individual product right. specifically, <clears throat> if, if that makes sense. Like, yes, Einstein is growing. Yes, CPQ is growing. Yes, FSL is growing. But we don't really have that many people that purely focus on one area. Right. And they still seem to kind of um, work cross-cloud, although there are some exceptions to that. Um, but yeah, in terms of skill sets, I think we, we have, you know, high demand and, and, and low availability for, for pretty much all skill sets. If you consider kind of from admin through to technical architect, yeah, um, it's, I've seen companies that have had a Salesforce admin role open for six months and, and not been at all, uh, have filled it after a six month period. Um, and, and I've seen, you know, longer for developers and technical architects. So. I think really, um, if, if we look at the skill sets, then then and the job titles, I think really we look we're, we're short of everyone, um, and uh, and I think the market will become more specialised following the kind of trends of the US, where people are like CPQ architects and and um, FSL architects, as an example. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, makes sense. That makes sense, right? And one of the the since you mentioned, right, I just wanted to touch briefly on the developer side of things as well, right? Um, so one thing I believe that, you know, it will be good, right? If, if, if a company, say for instance, in Australia, XYZ company struggling to find a Salesforce developer, right? They can always train an existing developer from a different technology. Like for instance, when I started Salesforce, right? I've been a C sharp developer for almost like a 10 years. So the transition from a C sharp to Apex or LWC was was pretty straightforward because a lot of practices you do, right? In different technology, you can bring it. The, the biggest challenge, yeah. I would say, is just to understand uh, the platform, the things, you know, where you can code and, and where you can use the configuration. So at that point, that thing you can learn within, you know, 12 months. But, yeah, so that's just my observation, though, so. Sure, but, but yeah, if you've got a programming background, right, whereas if yeah, you're yeah. told, like, never, you've, you've never written a line of code in, in the past, like, it's probably going to be a longer journey to, to get. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so if you have a programming experience, let's say eight to nine experience, eight to nine years, then it's it's kind of a a very short transition to the Salesforce because yeah. it's just another technology, right? You know, but, but the concepts will remains the same. So mind you, that Salesforce is pushing low code. So I don't know if that's what creating a kind of a a misconception in the market that you don't really have to code in the Salesforce, but that's not really the case though, because you know, um. So, um, coming from the recruitment perspective, right? Do you uh, face uh, any kind of challenge, right? You know, f- uh, any, any specific thing you think, oh, this is very challenging, especially from a Salesforce market perspective. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think um, like the, the <laughs> obvious one, and I, I would suspect this this isn't just in the Salesforce ecosystem, but um, candidate qualification is is a difficult thing because. Um, you know, I, I don't come from a technical background. I, although I've um, I've studied and I'm I'm a certified Salesforce administrator. I, I couldn't tell you what a line of code does. Um, looking at it, you know, I couldn't debug a line of code. And yep. you know, a lot of the demand we get is for Salesforce developers. Um, right. And a, a company are uh, when they come to me and they're looking to hire a Salesforce developer. Um, you know, they're looking to to for me to be able to to bring someone that's going to add value. So. It's difficult, really, to to establish someone's strengths as a Salesforce developer. You know, if they're good, if they they write good quality code, um, if they're going to add value to a, a company, I think that that's the biggest challenge because 
I can't just say, right, you know, show me a piece of your work and, and let me kind of work through that and work out if it's good quality. Um, right. So, yeah, you kind of do have to go out on a limb a little bit in some some cases. Um, obviously, you've got things like certifications. Um, you've got trailhead badges. Um, I think it's, it's you know, once you've spent a period of time in the ecosystem, you can kind of make an assessment based on companies that people have worked for as well because um, you hear good things about some companies and, and not so great things about others. So yep. if someone's worked for a, a good company for a period of time and, and stuck around, um, you would suspect that they've, they've done some good work there. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that's definitely a challenge as a, as a non-technical recruiter. Right. Okay, cool. Thank you very much for that. Now, coming to my last question, right? Do you have any advice for people looking for a Salesforce job, especially in Australian market? So I guess it really depends on what level um, they are. Like if they're experienced, I think, you know, the, the, the piece of advice I would give is to be really clear on what you want, because if, if you um, aren't clear on what you want, you'll be inundated with opportunities. And I think it's really hard then to make an assessment on which one is right for you. Um, I think it's really important to know, do you, do you want to work completely remotely? You know, do you want to work on things that are broader than just Salesforce? Do you want to work in consulting? Um, you know, think things that are, are going to be able to um, establish if a role is right or wrong for you. Because yeah. otherwise, you know, there's so, especially for the more technical roles, there's so many opportunities out there you could interview with, you know, 15 companies, um, and, and it doesn't really make sense to do that. So I think just, just really being clear on what's, what's right for you, what, what you're looking for, what you can add and, and what you're looking to gain from a company, both from a monetary and also experience and progression angle, I guess. Um, right. because yeah, lots of doors will be opened for you if you have lots of Salesforce experience and you're in, you're in Australia now. Um, and then on the more junior side, I think it's about you know networking and, and building relationships. And um, and unfortunately, if you, if you don't have as much experience, there aren't going to be as many doors opening for you. So it's about really hustling and making sure that you're opening those doors yourself. Yeah. Um, and really, if you don't have much Salesforce experience, um, I see a lot of people uh, you know thinking that a Salesforce recruiter is going to solve all of their problems. And uh, and the reality is, uh, I, I don't place that many junior people in roles. Um, right. I wish I placed more. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, not many of my clients come to me looking for junior talent um, because they come to me when they can't find talent themselves. So they're looking for the more experienced people. Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think don't don't just rely on recruiters to, um, you know, solve solve the hiring or the the, the um, job um, sourcing piece for you. I think you have to put a lot of that work in yourself and uh, you know put yourself in the shop window. And whether that's just creating content or, or documenting your Salesforce journey so that um, people that are online and you know, looking for people like yourself can find and, and connect with that content and, and hopefully then offer you opportunities to explore new challenges. Yeah, that's right. Or they can create a YouTube channel, right, <laughs> to explore, to teach people Salesforce. That's one way to showcase yeah. as well, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are hesitant to like, I mean, I, I think it's like, you know, obviously, if you don't have a lot of experience, um, it can sometimes be a bit daunting creating content. But, but my advice to people is there's always someone further back than you in the journey. Um, yeah. So even if you don't think you have a lot of experience, there's someone out there that's, you know, one step further behind that's looking for a bit of information that you can share. So someone might just be getting started or thinking about getting started. And it might be your content that helps them on that journey. Um, and, and, yeah, obviously, that, that if you're kind of giving back to people behind you, that doesn't necessarily get you a job but it does build your confidence it does build your learning curve yourself and also it does 
kind of make you more noticeable online. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's a very valuable advice. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Um, so that comes to my end of all every questions I wanted to ask. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate no it. I, I know it's a busy uh, Monday, so but really, truly appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's just uh, one more thing on the because I'm, I'm you mentioned around people overseas that might be kind of looking to come to Australia. Um, yeah, my, my advice with that because we are getting a lot of people contact us. Realistically, at the moment, the the place we we see the most opportunity for people that are requiring visas um, is for the more technical role, so developers and architects. Right. Um, and also with consulting practices, right? So it's quite rare. Um, there are some end customers that will sponsor visas, but the biggest volume of, of um, hiring companies that will offer a visa is with, you know, the big consulting firms. Um, so they're the people, they're the companies that, that people overseas should be kind of exploring and, and looking at if they are looking to, to, to get their first step into the Australian market with visa sponsorship. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Or the other thing they can do, right? They can do an internal transfer. Sometimes yeah. I think it works like, for instance, one of the companies I work, they have an option. But I mean, like I'm in New Zealand, it's easy for us to go to Australia. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just always good to have the technical skill because that's the skill that even in New Zealand market, that's, that's people demands the most, uh, a developer or a technical architect, someone who can code. Um, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, so that's cool. That's cool. Thank you for that. Yeah, Appreciate definitely. it. No worries. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.